This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Hello, welcome to Redefining Success, the show where we speak to passionate people from various fields about their careers and lives, what makes them tick and how they define success. I'm Dashran Johan. You're listening to the third episode of our Women in STEM series where we're highlighting brilliant women in the field of science, technology, engineering and mathematics. Dr. Un Chen In is an associate professor at INFORM, which is the Institute for Research in Molecular Medicine, University Science Malaysia. In 2019, she received the Most Promising Academician Award from the Ministry of Education. Welcome to the show, Dr. Un. How are you? I'm very good, thank you. Thanks for having me on the show. Thank you for coming on the show. Perhaps you can start by telling us a bit about yourself and the work that you do. Well, molecular medicine is a branch of medical sciences which addresses the mechanisms that drive human diseases at the molecular level. And with this understanding, scientists can then apply the knowledge to develop interventions for diagnosis, treatment or prevention of the disease. Right. Um, So regular people may not even know what the word molecular means. Um, So you are studying molecular things at a molecular level. What does that mean? What does your, you know, what kind of research do you do? What problems do you aim to solve? So when we talk about molecular, I think the easiest is to think about DNA, right? Gene expression, protein expression. So these are things that you cannot see with eyes. Right. So I'm actually a molecular oncologist. Um, We work in an interdisciplinary setting to elucidate the mechanisms that cause cancer or actually therapeutic resistance and then find new drug candidates to target specific molecules. And when I say molecules, they are like um, genes or proteins that are highly expressed in cancer or the cells that surround the cancer to hamper tumor growth. And this is known as targeted therapy, which is fundamental to precision medicine. I think it is time to bid farewell to one-size-fits-all cancer treatments. I seek to address the general toxicity issues faced with the use of chemotherapy, which kills all fast-dividing cells and is not specific towards cancer cells. So for patients to benefit from more targeted and effective treatments, the tumors must first express high levels of the protein, which will then be targeted by the drug. And this enables higher selectivity um, towards cancer cells, which um, spares the healthy ones. Right. So why did you decide to embark on this career path? Because for a lot of people listening, this sounds very technical, um, but you're clearly someone who's very passionate about it. Why did you decide to embark on this specific career path? Well, I think we use science in everyday life, right? right? I was always curious as a little girl. My dad worked at a university. I had the privilege to explore the grounds of the university and visit the labs as a budding young scientist. Um, In addition, I think most of us at that time did not have a conscious choice to choose between the science or the art stream. If you did well in school, you were kind of automatically pushed into the science stream, or at least that was the case during my time. I have never explored other non-science-based subjects formally, although at one point I wanted to be a fashion designer. Hmm. And my mom said that if I wanted to be a successful fashion designer, I have to make it really big. Um, And then I also had an ambition to be a doctor. 
But mom said I would then get married to the hospital, <laughs> which encouraged me <laughs> to be a lecturer or a scientist, you know, to cater right. uh, for flexibility so that I can make time for my family. And that is where I am today. Right. Um, that's very interesting. So would you say that a lot of how you ended up doing what you're doing um, is a mixture of, yes, interests, but also a lot of practical reasons rather than a, a very you know strong passion that you said, I want to do this. I don't care what my mom says, my grandmother says, what the whole world says. I'm going to do it anyway. Yeah, so you're very right. I, I, I think it's just because I grew up in a traditional family, right? Mm-hmm. And, and then, you know, your parents have quite a lot of of say, you know, and and influence, you know, about your career path, you know, whom you're going to end up marrying, you know, this sort of thing. So I I was in that sort of a a situation until I went to the UK and then I've seen the other side of the world. And then that's when I learned about empowerment, you know, about decision making, you know, going for what you want. And I think um, when you talk about passion and all that, I, I, I see that I start to have that now because then I know that I actually have the ability to change the world. You know, it is up to me. And if I have to go through any challenges, then I have just to find ways to make things work because I do have a goal and I do have a vision and I do want to serve the society. I do want to find new treatments for cancer and then I'll just fix my um, uh, gaze on my goal and I'll just work towards it. So I think it's very different. You know, I think it was my education that empowered me and made me see things very differently. Do you remember the point where you sort of fell in love with science? Because like you said, um, you know, going into science or going to the science stream wasn't a, a sort of passion-fueled decision. It was circumstances of the time. You're right. Um, even until now, there is that that sort of um, stereotype or taboo or, or that, that, that type of box where if you get good grades, um, then you naturally, they just say, okay, go and do science. But do you remember when you actually went, wow, I actually enjoy this. I want to do more and more of this for the rest of my life. Well, I have to say that was during my PhD in the UK. Right. And I realized that I think I had very good um, supervisors and mentors and, you know, um, full of resources, you know, and connections. You just discuss science in, in a way that's very different from how things work in Malaysia. And I think from there, then I, I realized that I actually really do enjoy what I do because I was actually a trained plant biotechnologist, you know, in Malaysia. And then I went to the UK and I switched. I, I did my PhD in molecular oncology. I right. had to start from kind of basic. <laughs> <laughs> right. And why why did you pivot to that? Um, you know, because now you're your sort of career is centered around, um, you know, fighting cancer, at the, you know, and studying it at the molecular level. Why did you choose that specific um, thread of science to pursue? Well, I think it all started also because I did a lot of volunteering at cancer hospitals back in my younger days right. <laughs> um, before pursuing my postgraduate studies in the UK. And then I had a first-hand encounter with cancer patients and actually I experienced their misery. And this gave me a sense of purpose and motivated me to find new solutions um, to treat cancer. Right. Um, I want to tie that into a question that is perhaps big picture, but it is the core of this show. And that is, how do you define success? What does that word mean to you? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, um, I think 
different people define success very differently, right? Um, for some people, success means status, power, wealth, or even education. And this is not wrong, but I think it is what you do with your achievements, whether it is to give back to society or help others that matters. At this level, I would define success as um, a place where one has already attained certain privileges and can influence positive change. So to me, success is a purpose-driven journey. It is not a destination for sure. And there is no success without failures. Right. What do you mean by attaining certain privileges before you can start pushing for positive change? I think it's also because of what I have been through as a young scientist or researcher mm. back in Malaysia. Um, I have experienced um, very good supportive work environment, but I've also experienced um, the opposite, right? right? So because I have had the opportunity to experience the two different sides of um what, what would you call um, the two different sets of scenarios where it right. can be very damaging or it can be very positive and um, uplifting, right? I started to see success as something very different because usually it's a lot of people who are successful, they're at a certain level, but they don't see that they actually have the power to make a positive change. They use that power and status very differently, right? Mm -hmm. And also, I think it's because of that I looked at success very differently because as I slowly climb in my career, I realized um, that, you know, I do not want to be successful and be like this certain person. You know, I want people to remember me and I want to be able to leave a legacy, you know. People, you want people to remember you. I, I think that's very um, interesting. I think a lot of us, you know, want people to remember us, um, you know, many years in the future, um, especially perhaps, you know, one day when we are no longer here. What do you want people to remember you by? Well, I think I definitely want to be remembered as somebody who has tried to, you know, um, impact their lives in one way or another. You know, I think this, um, for me, having my own students is, is about how I mentor and supervise my students, you know, what they remember about me when they leave my lab, you know, when they go out um, to explore the world, you know, would they say that they graduated um, under my supervision and what do they remember about my supervision about me mm -hmm. as the leader, you know, that sort of thing. I do not want to be just a, a leader and then, um, you know, when you step down from a certain position and then you kind of, have no friends because you 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 were a leader who's not exemplary. You, you know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, has your idea of success always been this way? Um, or has it, has it changed over time? And I ask this also because, um, like you said, you come from a traditional family um, in a lot of ways. Um, do you find that your ideas of success has changed perhaps when you compare what it was when you were, uh, you know, an uh, older teenager, um, when you were studying in university compared to where you are today? Yes, definitely. <laughs> um, to, to be honest, back in... Um, you know, those schooling days, I had good grades most of the time. I defined straight A's as an achievement 
And honestly, I projected that expectation into working life um, only to realize that we should strive for excellence and not perfection, right? Expect failures if we desire growth. And um, academic excellence was once a crucial defining factor with a heavy weightage for university entrance for popular courses. So as I went out to explore the world and work in different countries, it changed my perspective altogether. You know, high academic achievement in school may be necessary for life success, but it is not a sole factor. And, you know, today we have seen people with not so great academic achievements or even school dropouts succeed in life because they possess the ability to rise above adversities and think outside the box, which is crucial to success, but these things were not taught in school. Why? How would you differentiate um, striving for excellence versus striving for perfection? Well, I think um, for me, I for me, excellence is about me giving my all and giving my best, mm. right? And perfection would be me picking out what <laughs> is the problem <laughs> with a lot of things, and you know, not being happy with whatever results that I get. So I'll never ever be happy because I'm always chasing after perfection. On the show with me today is Dr. Un Chen In, Associate Professor at INFORM, which is the Institute for Research in Molecular Medicine at University Science Malaysia. After the break, we discuss the evolution of her career. Keep it here on Redefining Success, BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Redefining Success. I'm Dashan Johan and on the show with me today is Dr. Un Chen In. She's an Associate Professor at INFORM, which is the Institute for Research in Molecular Medicine at University Science Malaysia. So Dr. Un, talk to me about the evolution of your career since your university days. What did you study at first um, and then what else did you study? How did your career evolve over the years? Um, I was trained as a plant biotechnologist right. so it, during the biotechnology boom in Malaysia. And obviously, I rode on the bandwagon, harnessing the benefits of natural products <laughs> to treat diseases. I knew then what many people thought they knew, that plant products are safe, cheap, less toxic, right? And then went on to pursue my PhD in the UK and I was immediately challenged on my opinion on functional food, supplements and nutraceuticals to treat cancer. So I had to relearn and retool to be relevant in evidence-based medicine. So coming back to Malaysia, it was challenging to continue doing what I trained in, mainly because of the local mindsets and the deep-rooted tradition which favours traditional medicine as their primary health care. Right. Could you expand on that a little bit? What What are the sort of constraints that you faced in Malaysia? So when I came back to Malaysia, um, I think one of the common misconceptions is that, um, you know, in Malaysia, we, we have a wealth of flora and fauna, natural products. So naturally, right. we would want to harness on this, right, um, for economy or for research or, you know, um, just because we have, a wealth of this, right? It is a pity not to use that as our strength. But the thing is, there is this misconception about herbal medicine that is considered safe, you know, but natural does not necessarily mean safe. And there are possibilities of side effects from natural product with conventional medicine. And this can also affect the body's absorption of either one of the medicines. So um, 
I work on targeted therapy and that's very different. So I work on synthetic compounds, you know, compounds that are being generated in the lab um, that needs vigorous testing and research that may take up to 15, 20 years to get approval from the FDA. And in Malaysia, it's a lot about what the natural uh, products can do to treat different ailments and supplements, you know, a, a lot of big... Um, uh, hoo-ha about, uh, you know, supplements treating cancer, um, preventing cancer, and these sort of things, like very big claims. And I think a lot of funding also went towards um, natural product research. And this is when I tried to come in and say, hey, you know, I'm working on something that is quite different. Would you actually buy this idea? Because honestly, what I'm working on is actually... Um, 10 years lagging behind time in Malaysia. And right. that explains why I'm actually now in Singapore because it's just so difficult to move that field. Right. Um, you're someone who, like you mentioned, did your postgraduate studies. Is postgraduate studies important for someone in your field? I would think so. First of all, education empowers people, right? And master and PhD studies train critical thinking and problem-solving skills. So these processes require doing experiments, posing questions and hypotheses, and solving problems. And science is fast evolving. These skills are needed to constantly keep abreast with current trends. And hey, you know what? The world needs more female scientists. Absolutely. And as I've mentioned before, having female role models and a, a support system is crucial. Um, it is hard enough to juggle between family and a career, especially when the biological clock is ticking. There is never a right time to start a family for most career women. I'm saying that I'm proud that um, the British Council has launched the Women in STEM scholarships. It is fully funded for any science-related master degrees with the um, British Council's partners to check it out on the British Council website. You know, not only did you do your PhD, right? Um, you also did a postdoctorate at the Karolinska Institute in Sweden. Um, what did you study and why did you choose to pursue your education there? So basically being a postdoc is the next step towards gaining maturity and independence to be able to lead a research group effectively. Um, as a postdoc, I expanded my interest focus on cancer-associated fibroblasts, and these are actually the other cell types in a cancer microenvironment which support tumor growth. So, you know, many people know that, you know, when, when they take drugs um, to treat cancer, these drugs kill the cancer cells, but many people do not know that there are other cancer types within the tumor microenvironment that actually support tumor growth. And these cell types within the tumor microenvironment can actually be targeted uh, as a form of a therapeutic strategy against cancer. Right. Um, you know, earlier you brought up some interesting challenges that you have gone through throughout your career. And I, want, I would like you to expand a bit um, on that. You touched on, on some of the challenges you faced um, in Malaysia, but you also talked about certain challenges you faced as a woman, including um, bringing up the biological clock and how even that um, plays a factor into certain decision-making. Could you talk to me a little bit more about these challenges that women scientists face, um, especially yourself? What did you go through? <laughs> the biological clock thing, I think, is very relevant for those in the childbearing age, right? right. Um, so 
when a biological clock is ticking and you're a scientist, you know, when you 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 are doing science and if you have to be in a lab, there's there are only limited things that you can do, right? And I have also seen um women who are pregnant and they get discriminated. I myself got discriminated having um, brought my my baby to a conference and I was not allowed to sit in because um, I was told that if the baby cries, I would I would just uh, disrupt a whole uh, conference, you know. And I I was asked to just sit outside, but I I I didn't think that that was fair because I paid for it, right? Yeah. I deserve to actually be sitting in and, and, and to listen to the lectures. So I actually highlighted this to the organizer. And I think it was also at that point where um, this uh, women and gender equality thing was not really big in Malaysia yet. I think now there's actually a bigger awareness on this. And I also experienced unequal access to opportunities due to seniority or ranks of positions, you know, or performance not being assessed or rewarded fairly and dealing with bullies, just to name a few, you know. These are topics few people talk about, but it is actually crucial to highlight that um, you're not alone if you face this at your workplace. It took me eight years to realize what this did to my mental health and how I found the strength to overcome them, although initially I had a lot of confusion because I didn't know what they were. So thanks to the COVID-19 pandemic, I had so much time to be on my own to reflect and realize that these are actually toxic. So I started writing about kindness and sharing my stories online or in newspapers, not just to help myself move on, but most importantly, I was hoping to raise awareness against bullying. It is a vicious cycle. In fact, studies show that most bullies have experienced abuse at the hands of someone else. So we can all do better and combat bullying with kindness for a change. Could you tell me what was it that you were going through that made you reflect, um, especially during the COVID-19 period? Because you've been, prior to that, you've been in this career for many years. Um, like you said, you went through a lot of things that other peop- that many people perhaps don't talk about. How did you overcome these challenges? I think first of all, it's about the realization. So the thing is, I was actually so busy pursuing my career and chasing after a promotion. I kind of just deflected all these uh, negative things that came towards me. You know, I just didn't think too much about it because I had my one goal is to actually get my promotion by a certain age and all that. Right. And then I didn't realize that, uh, you know, what I experienced were actually um bullying to a certain extent and then you know when I had so much time to actually sit down within the four walls of my house or my room and then I realized hey you know people who have gone through this actually they they do have a different way of of seeing things and it does hamper their self-esteem it does make them question themselves or doubt their abilities. You know, I didn't know anything about bullying or gaslighting even. And then I started to Google and, you know, find these keywords, what they actually mean. And I actually realized that, ah, I've been through all these things. So do I want to put up with it further? No. Right. So I learned to speak up for myself. And I think the thing about being in Asia is that um, you kind of are not encouraged to speak pick up for right. some reason, right? Because uh, somehow seniority always matters. Mm-hmm. But I guess being in, in, in Europe, I, I kind of um, learned that if I speak up and then, you know, things 
things will will be better because I either tell people how I feel, hey, you know, this is how you make me feel, you know, please don't do it again. Or, you know, because in, in Asia, we kind of tend to bottle up, we don't talk about anything and then things become worse. Why do you keep doing what you're doing despite these challenges? What drives you? I think it is um, largely my training and life's experiences in the UK and Sweden, which empowered me with confidence and knowing that what I went through does not need to be tolerated because it can indeed be done differently to support women or young researchers better, right? So I think ultimately it's my passion, you know. Um, you have to be passionate about what you do and then focus on your goals and master all your strength to reach your destination, even if you have to sail against the wind. Absolutely. Um, Dr. Un, what have been some of the proudest moments of your career thus far? For me, it has always been about the journey and not so much the achievements. I am proud to have been able to stand up against all odds, build my research by working with like-minded scientists from abroad and produce globally competent students. So for me, it is never about how many students or papers I produce, but the quality of what I turn out that matters. I think you're being very humble, Dr. Un. So I will list out some of your achievements. <laughs> In 2019, you received the most promising academician award um, from the Ministry of Education in 2018, National Young Scientist Award from the Ministry of Energy, Science, Technology, Environment and Climate Change. You also received the Women of the Future Awards from the UK, um, Southeast Asia 2018. and these are just like some of the, you know, when, when you go through the list of awards, like this is just merely the tip of the iceberg. Um, talk to me about, um, you know, the work that you did which led to some of these awards? So I work on cancer targeted therapy, an area of research that is not much understood in Malaysia, right? But it is pretty established in the West. Um, I now work on more than one protein of interest implicated in cancer progression. However, I'm not able to reveal much at this point as I'm doing this research in Singapore. Um, However, I believe that it is not solely based on my research um, that these awards were given. These awards embody what I stand for as a scientist, right? Empowerment and the desire to work and, and educate society. Much of this has a lot to do with my experiences which have taught me how to be or how not to be, right? And empowerment is crucial because empowered people walk the extra mile to exceed expectations, take control of their work and create values for themselves. I also grew up with a special needs family member. So I always remind myself that my achievements should humble me because I'm blessed. Absolutely. Um, I want to ask you a question concerning cancer. It's a very big picture question. Um, When we look at where we were 20 years ago compared to today, how much we have, um, you know, either in Malaysia or across the world learned about cancer, um, are we getting closer towards finding a cure for cancer? I think we have come a long way. (laughs) 20 years ago, perhaps more rural people were still visiting witch doctors, you know, and turning to traditional medicine to treat cancers. Now, hopefully less. Um, The advancement of technology has allowed rapid dissemination of information globally, right? If used correctly, this information can educate. However, most of the general public still cannot discern the accuracy of the information and tend to believe what they read online, right? 
I still have teachers coming to me and asking if drinking plant concoctions can cure stage four cancers because they read it in an article online, you know. <laughs> and as for cure for cancer, I would not use the word cure, but focus on treating cancer to prolong lifespan or improve the quality of life. As I've mentioned before, science is moving so fast. I'm now learning new things in Singapore terms that I've never heard before um, when I was in Malaysia. And I'm confident that the world is one step closer to finding new cancer treatments, especially for undruggable proteins. However, we must keep in mind that cancers are very, very smart. Um, they can often find ways to circumvent treatments by activating different pathways that lead to therapeutic resistance. Hence, personalized or precision medicine is the way forward. Um, I'm wondering, Dr. Un, what does it take to sustain a career such as yours, um, whether it's in Malaysia or in the region, um, especially if you're in the field, like I said, in, in a very specific field of cancer research? What does it take to sustain that as a career? Always look outside and work with like-minded scientists. The only way to grow is to be out of your comfort zone. Learn, relearn, and retool. I mean, we are limited in resources, right? International collaborations is essential to ensure that you stay ahead of the game, right? So often I hear young researchers sharing with me the limitations that keep them where they are, or rather they're happy to pursue the low-hanging fruits just to be in their job and fulfill the annual KPI. If you think of the bigger picture, doing research is more than just keeping a job. What drives you enough to push you through difficulties and benchmark yourselves with the real players abroad, right? So that is where we should be heading as scientists, I believe. What's the job market like in Malaysia um, when it comes to this field, um, the field of cancer research, um, or whether when we look at it from a very specific thing like research in molecular medicine, um, things like that. What's the job market like or do Malaysians today who are interested in this realistically have to look um, beyond our shores? Well, I think if you're in academia, then you have a job. <laughs> Otherwise, you may have to look outside Malaysia. Mm. Okay. All right. So before we wrap this conversation up, Dr. Un, just one last question. Um, what advice would you give someone who's listening to this show and say, I want to be Dr. Un one day? <laughs> I often hear people say that it's only one churn in the world. <laughs> to this day, I still do not quite comprehend what that means, but I take it as a good thing. Um, I would say dare to be yourself and always seek to improve yourself. Dare to dream big and dare to fail. Have a purpose-driven life. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me today. That was Dr. Un Chen In, Associate Professor at INFORM, which is the Institute for Research in Molecular Medicine at University Science Malaysia. If you missed any part of our conversation, you can also check us out on podcasts. We're available on the BFM app, bfm.my, or pretty much wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm Darshan Johan, and this has been Redefining Success, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.